So, uh, so we are starting a new conversation today, and one of the one of the best things about being a pastor is you get to pick the topics. And I have been really thinking a lot about fear. Uh, because I've had a lot of things that have made me afraid. As I mentioned to the children, there's a lot of things in the world today that can make us afraid. And um, the great thing about being a Christian is that we have resources to um, to to address those fears. That, as, as I said to the children, we have a heavenly Father who loves us. So, um, so you know a lot of the reasons. You know, I, I could go into my particular fears, but probably a lot of them are the same as yours. Um, we've had almost two years now of COVID-19, um, and I won't call it a hysteria, but I'll say it's like one one notch below a hysteria. We've had all kinds of issues related to COVID-19, and then and then the response. So it hasn't been um, it hasn't been an easy an easy ride for anybody over the last 18 months. So we've got COVID-19. There's there's always uh, for uh, we just celebrated 9/11. There's always the risk of terrorism. Um, there's inflation. Uh, you know what's going to happen to my savings. There's the political landscape and and you know. Uh, what's going to happen with with uh, the different sides? You know, I can't keep track of them all. Antifa and Proud Boys, and you know, all these people we're hearing about in the news. What what do we do? And just plain old Republicans and Democrats. Some of the people we know and and like as friends, we just go, what on earth are they thinking? Where did they get their news? Right. So 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 the political landscape. There's lots of things that that make us concerned. Um, there is a university in Southern California called Chapman University, and they uh, they do a survey. They've been doing this for years and years. They they do a survey of the top hundred um, fears that people have, and I couldn't find a newer one than 2018. But they've got that on their website. You can go look for it, Chapman University, and they list the top five fears as these things: corrupt government officials, pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes, pollution of drinking water, not having enough money, and people I love becoming seriously ill. So those all sound pretty pretty reasonable. Um, now this was 2018. My guess is if they did that uh, uh, last year or this year, there would probably be a, some adjustments in the order of things. In 2018, pandemics were mentioned, but they were 32. I'm guessing they would be a little higher now. <laughs> Same with germs. Germs are very low in in um, in uh, 2018. Um, but there's other things that we can say. You know, these are these are kind of novel problems that that maybe people haven't always had to deal with in the past. Corporate tracking of uh, personal data was number 17. Government tracking of personal data was right behind that at number 18. Uh, police brutality. Again, I think that's something that is certainly more on on people's consciousness today than it would have been a couple of years ago. So um, these issues um, have have uh, appear in this survey. And then, of course, there's the the ones that that people have, but maybe they wouldn't want to mention early in the survey. Uh, public speaking, uh, number what number sixty? Uh, sharks number fifty one. <laughs> zombies eighty eight, and clowns ninety one. So. I think clown should be a little higher. So, so, so these are these are the 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 the, the most common fears in America, and um, maybe you can identify with some of them. You know, sharks or zombies or something. Um, maybe even COVID or uh, pandemics and um, and uh, uh, political uh, matters. So, so there, there's a lot of things where we can say, well, well, that's that's a, a fear, but you know, it's just something I deal with. But but these things are are getting worse, and there's a specific reason they're getting worse. Maybe some of you saw the news this week. Um, uh, Facebook has been conducting internal surveys, and they found in their research, their internal research that that leaked, um, that they found out that 
Instagram is toxic for uh, teens and particularly for girls. So um, uh, you might say, well, you know, then just they shouldn't do it. But but it has consequences. Um, over the past 15 years, the rate of depression, uh, these are major depressive events um, in people ages 12 to 17, have more than doubled for girls. And they've gone up, as you can see, for, for boys as well. So um, I don't know the degree to which um, Instagram caused that. But Facebook's own data, Facebook owns Instagram. Facebook's own data shows that they, they know that they contribute to the problems in, in the, that area. So, um, and, and, um, in general, social media, the highly connected world, the 24 hour news cycle, you know, the, 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 um, the thing at the bottom that says breaking, you know, all those things, um, what they what they have um, what, what they produce in people is something that psychologists call amygdala hijack. The amygdala is a part of the brain that 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 is involved in the fight or flight response. So the input comes in, and you you know it's a snake. What do I do? Uh, you know I jump or whatever. That the amygdala is where all that. It's kind of the central clearinghouse for that, and it kind of goes through and then does what's whatever it needs to do. The amygdala can become overwhelmed by a, by a by a. Um, Consistent diet of stress, and then you get in kind of stuck in this place where you're you're overly fearful of all kinds of things, even relatively harmless things. So psychologists talk about amygdala hijack, and then with the addition of social media, you know you don't have to just turn on CNN to get an amygdala hijacked. You can do it yourself because there's emotional contagion, and so you can click and share, and now your friends. Can all get amygdala hijacked too. So, so this is something that we can do, um, and and we're part of in our society today. That we take those ordinary fears, you know, ordinary fears of zombies and clowns and things, and then we just kind of ratchet them up to a, a, a dangerous or at least a toxic level. And then, of course, uh, there's the reality: this is not going away. I mean, there, it's not going away, and the reason is because there's no financial incentive for it to go away. Uh, back in the 80s, with cable news, they used to say, they used to say, if it bleeds, it leads, right? People will tune in for a car wreck. They won't tune in for a kid getting a trophy, right? You know, the, the, that's the way the, mo- the business models work. And so we invented uh, clickbait and things like that, and that's just going to stay. So there's a lot of reasons to say, well, you know what? We've got all the sources of fear. They're being ratcheted up by by the way our society is functioning these days, particularly with with um, our highly interconnected world and and social media in particular. And then add in a little bit of COVID. So um, maybe some of you have felt this. I've heard people say, you know, I just don't function as well as I used to. It seems like everything takes like twice as long to think through, and that may not be your imagination. So um, there's some research that suggests that lockdown could have altered our brains. So enjoy that. Now, for those of you who are of a dating age and mindset, I want to give you one more reason. This should be this should be the ultimate reason why you want to combat fear in your life. If you're nervous, women can smell it on you. <laughs> so they, they did these, you know, they did research and they found out that people who uh, they, they would they would make them nervous with different different standard techniques, and then they would like get a sample of their sweat, and then they would like present it to female subjects who volunteered for this, who, who would be wearing a little mask that gave them wafts of of sweat smell, and then they would see how they reacted to different people that they would be more trusting of the ones who didn't smell nervous. So, for a lot of reasons, right? Uh, for everything from uh, you know. 
teenage girls going to the hospital with depression to my dating life is not what I would like it to be because (laughs) people don't trust me. For all these reasons, we can be concerned about all the sources of fear in in our world. And the great thing about our faith is that it has so many resources for the problem of fear. As I mentioned to the children, the most common prescription in the Bible, the most common command in the Bible is to not be afraid. So, if you're a Christian, there you go. I'm going to pray now and then we'll close and go have... (laughs) Okay, all right. Maybe I need to say a little bit more. (laughs) All right. So don't be afraid. It's not that easy, is it, right? It is the most common thing in the scriptures. In fact, we see it. this specific command um, 82 times in the Hebrew scriptures alone. It says in these words, do not be afraid. And in the New Testament, it says it 24 times. And then throw in all the times it says, it says, uh, have courage or be strong. Throw in all these things. Um, uh, there's a, uh, preacher named, um, Lloyd Ogilvie. He used to be the chaplain for the U.S. Senate. And by his calculations, there's 366 commands in the, in the Bible that say, do not be afraid. And he says, one for every day, including leap, leap day. So um, do not be afraid. It's all through the Bible. And that tells us two things. It tells us, first of all, that we need to hear it. For some reason, it's not getting through, right? So it's not like it says it on page one. Okay, now with that out of the way, let's move on. It's like, I'm going to have to keep telling you, don't be afraid. Because just once or twice or 350 uh, 365 times won't be enough. So, um, fear, uh, is all through the Bible, uh, because the, the, the prescription to not fear is all through the Bible. So, that leads us to our first point. Our first point is that if you are fearful, if there's anything that makes you fearful, then fear makes you like the best people in the Bible. This is not something that only the worst people, only people with small faith ever fear. This is the best people in the Bible are fearful. Moses, we looked at the, 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 the arc of Moses, um, the, the, the path that he traced through the, the history of the people of God last spring. Uh, we, how he led, uh, God used him to lead the people, um, out of Israel, um, to, to freedom in the land of promise. So we saw that Moses, the liberator, the lawgiver, Moses, was afraid. We read in, in Exodus 2 how Moses was afraid when he realized they obviously know what I did. You ever prayed that prayer? <laughs> you know, they, they know what I did. So Moses was afraid. All right, Elijah, the greatest prophet that ever lived. Elijah, we read about him in 1 Kings 9, uh, 19. He has this showdown with uh, the king, King Ahab and uh, Queen Jezebel. And Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. You know, I will get you for that. And Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. So Moses and Elijah, shorthand name for the entire Hebrew scriptures. People would talk about that's in Moses and Elijah, meaning all the Hebrew scriptures. But it's not just the Hebrew scriptures. We see this uh, in the very best of the disciples. Jesus had about 150 disciples in his in his kind of uh, movement as he moved through um, Galilee and, and down into Judea where he um, was crucified. 
there's about 150 people, but there was like this, this inner group of, of 12 that we read, you know, about more commonly, the capital D disciples. But there were three that were his, his, really his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus took them up on a mountain one day. And while he was praying, he was transfigured before them. And we read that that inner group, the, the, the cream of the crop, the most discipled of the disciples, what did they do? The disciples heard the voice of God in the mountain and they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. On the day of resurrection, Jesus has, has done the thing he promised. He did the thing that said, hey, I'm going, they're going to crucify me, but I'm going to rise from the dead. So nothing to worry about, right? And the day that he did that, the very first day, the women who went to the tomb, they had the, they met the angel who said who said um, he's not here he's been raised and they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid if you are fearful if you have ever experienced fear it does not make you some kind of a weirdo it doesn't make you have bad faith it means you are just like the very best people in the New Testament and in fact it makes you like Jesus, because we read that Jesus himself, the night before he was arrested, he went out to the garden with that same inner group, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus began to feel despair and was anxious. So, if you are afraid, you have great company. And yet, and yet, there's those 366 don't be afraid. Because God commands people to stop being afraid. This isn't advice. This isn't, I saw this article about amygdala hijack and I don't want to be hijacked. This is a command from God. Do not be afraid. It's a command. In the book of Genesis, the very beginning of God's interaction with the the nation of Israel, we read how after that's kind of started, the Lord's word came to Abram. Before Abraham has even gotten the name Abraham, he's still Abram. The Lord's word came to him in a vision and said, don't be afraid, Abraham. Right? Easy to say, but I'm not God. I am afraid because I'm not God. Now, up there in heaven, nothing makes you afraid. That's easy for you. And God says, exactly. You're not alone, Abraham. I am with you. That You don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to be afraid because I am your protector. God says something similar through the prophet Isaiah. He says, to the whole nation of Israel, he says, don't fear because I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will hold you up with my righteous, strong hand. And in the New Testament, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights in giving you the kingdom. God is never shaking his head up in heaven, you know, SMH, OMG, myself, right? God never does that. God never says, I can't believe these people. God delights in giving you the kingdom. This is what brings a smile to God's face. When you say, I am terrified, God smiles because it's a chance for him to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. I'll come back to that. In the book of Acts, after Jesus had been raised, 
This is the, the faith that the, the, the people of the New Testament um, go out across the, the ancient world and they spread this faith that Jesus has been raised and uh, they get into trouble for it. And one night, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who, who did more to spread Christianity than anybody except Jesus, um, he's, he's, feeling, he's feeling overwhelmed. And if you read the book of Acts in that section, you'll see why he's had, he's had a bad couple of months. And one night the Lord came to Paul in a vision and said, don't be afraid. Continue speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you. This is the message. The reason we don't have to be afraid isn't because God's going to kind of bulk us up and we'll be able to take on the forces of the world. The reason is because God is with us. And that's... That should be reason for the people that Isaiah was talking to or Abraham or anybody else like that. But as people on this side of the cross and the resurrection, we have one more reason. Because they were anticipating something God would do in the future. But for us, it's something that has already happened. Because whatever it is, I want you to think about that thing you're afraid of. Whatever, or your collection of things, that, that hundred and, you know, zombies plus clowns, right? The whole list. Whatever it is you're afraid of, think about it. Because whatever that is, Jesus has defeated it. Whatever you fear, Jesus has defeated that. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I've said these things to you so that you will have peace in me. In the world, you have distress. But be encouraged, I've conquered the world. Jesus says, I have established, I've staked out a claim here in the middle of the world. The world so full of fears things that would make you afraid. I've conquered it. I've got a spot, and you're welcome in it. This is the place that is free from those sources of fear. And when when earlier Jesus said it's the Father's will to give you his kingdom, it is the kingdom of God. It is already available. It's not something you have to die and go to heaven to have access to. It's something Jesus has already established here in this world. And as we heard earlier, it's the invisible kingdom. It is not yet fully realized. There are still... There's still this, this tension between the, the invisible kingdom of God and the visible world. But we have access to the kingdom of God. And this is the, this was the faith that, that motivated the early church, that they could operate inside the kingdom of God even as they operated in the world. And they spread it across the, the ancient world. We read, we read a story early in the book of Acts when the uh, apostles Peter and John were, um, were, uh, proclaiming that Jesus had been raised and Jesus had had made this kingdom available to everyone, and they were uh, they were apprehended by the temple police. I think it's always a bad idea when churches have police forces, but um, they were they were apprehended by the council's police force, and the council said, "Stop doing that," and they said. We can't stop talking about this. This is the greatest news in the history of news. We're not going to stop talking about this. And so they beat them and let them go. And then they were arrested again for doing the same thing. And the council was caught by surprise by the confidence with which Peter and John spoke. He said, usually the beating and the stop doing it works. But with these guys, it's not working. They're not afraid. Why is that? They recognized that these men had been followers of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome, and he said, 
he generalized it. So he said, whatever, whatever these things are, the, the church council or whatever it is, um, are there anything in this world we need to be afraid of? And he said, no. He said, who will separate us from Christ's love? Will we be separated by trouble or distress or harassment or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He said, in all these things, we win a sweeping victory. We become part of that conquest. The, the, we become part of the, the unfolding, growing kingdom of God. We win a sweeping conquest through the one who loved us. The Apostle John says, You are from God, little children. And you have defeated these people, the, the particular people who were causing trouble in, in that letter. He says, you've defeated them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So, that's why we don't have to be afraid. That's that's the general reason. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at very specific things, the, the kind of things that were in the front of that survey. We're going to look at very specific applications of this teaching and what our faith has to say about the the most basic fears that we have. But... I want to give a little bit of a practical application today before before we move into those those more specific things in the next couple of weeks. So here's some practical steps how you can actually uh, put this together. So what are some practical steps? Well, the first one is don't discount the positive. That we can dwell on the bad things. Um, it's so easy to dwell on the bad things, and and I'm not saying you have to be a Pollyanna and say everything's wonderful, but don't overlook the good things. The Apostle Paul, writing from prison, said this, be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say be glad. And then he said, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. You will have no trouble thinking about the bad things. But he says, don't overlook the good things. Focus on these things, all that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things. Whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, the God of peace will be with you. Paul says you do this. I, I've seen this myself. Um, I, I, I visit people in the hospital. I, until a couple of years ago, <laughs> I visited people in the hospital, and occasionally since then. Um, and it's easy. Hospitals are designed to make people go bananas, right? You know, they, they're they noisy. You know, you're trying to sleep. You've, you've got all the reasons to be anxious. Plus, you can't sleep, and people are coming and going. They're just a hard place. And what I've noticed is that sometimes people will get fixated on those things, right? And, you know, I, I try not to be, you know, Mr. Fix-It in the hospital. I try to just listen, right? But here... In this room, I can say, when you find yourself in that situation, instead of simply saying it's noisy and the nurse keeps coming in and this machine will beep if I move my arm, all those things, instead of doing that, say, you know what? There are people within shouting distance who have trained for years and years, and they're taking care of me. They have they have knowledge of the human physiology that I cannot fathom. There's technology here in this room that is simply breathtaking. That you don't have to be a Pollyanna. You don't have to say everything's wonderful. You are in the hospital. But focus on the good things too. So don't discount the positive. And don't engage in fortune telling. It's so easy to say, we're doomed. <laughs> it's, it's, that's it. 
Game over. <laughs> Jesus says this. He says, stop worrying about tomorrow. Again, that's in the imperative. <laughs> Jesus is giving a command. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. You're going to have all new problems tomorrow. <laughs> in the meantime, why don't you deal with the ones you've got today? Don't borrow trouble from the future. Stop worrying about tomorrow. And don't be a mind reader. You know, a lot of our problems come from other people. A lot of the things we fear come from other people. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, that same section, it's a great passage of Scripture, in that same section he said, let your gentleness be known in your treatment in all people. He says, let... Let the. I can do that too. Uh, it's so creepy. They, then you get an ad three days later of whatever you were listening to. And it's like, wait a minute. What was, how long was it listening? Be afraid of that. No, don't be afraid of that. Because, yes, they are tracking you, but we don't have to be afraid. So, um, the Apostle Paul says, don't, don't, don't read people's minds. That, that, that yes, they're causing you trouble. It's difficult for you, but, but let your gentleness be, be known. You know, they've probably got their own set of fear, fears that they're dealing with. And don't worry about God either. Because this is even easier. If you, if you suspect the motives of that person, you know, you know, the one you had the argument with, if you suspect the motives of him or her, it's so much easier to suspect the motives of God. I don't know how many times I've been in the hospital and somebody says, Essentially, this is God getting even with me. And, you know, it comes out in different ways. You know, I smoked cigarettes for all those years, and, you know, whatever whatever the particulars of their situation are. I've had people tell me, this is my past catching up with me. This is God's judgment playing out in my life. And you know what? We don't have to do that. We don't have to guess what's on God's mind, because he says the Lord is near. You're in the hospital. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't project what you think God is thinking on God. Instead, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions along with giving thanks. And then, here's a promise. The peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Jesus Christ. So, we're going to look at very specific things that our faith teaches us about, the types of fears we have. But those are some very general things we can do. And some of you will have recognized, I've borrowed the language from um, cognitive behavioral therapy, discount the positive and fortune telling and so forth. But this, this is not, this is not rocket surgery. This was things that people of faith were saying 2,000 years ago. Because it's the right way of dealing with these problems. Knowing that God is on our side and then Trusting that we can bring our problems to God. I always resist quoting long passages from books, and so I made these as short as they could, as, as I could. But I want to quote two different people, contemporary writers, one of them from about a century ago named uh, G.K. Chesterton. I don't know if any of you are familiar with G.K. Chesterton, but he said this. He said, Idolatry is committed not merely by setting up false gods, but also by setting up false devils. Making men afraid of war or alcohol or economic law when they should be afraid of spiritual corruption and cowardice. You know, 30 years after he wrote that, 
the FDR would say, the only thing we have to be afraid of is fear itself. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He's saying, don't fear the wrong thing. Don't be afraid of war or alcohol. You know, this is pre-prohibition. War or alcohol or economic law, when what they should be afraid of is spiritual corruption and cowardice. Don't be afraid of the wrong thing. Don't be afraid of a false devil. And then another another quote from Erwin McManus. I saw him at a talk in Southern California, I don't know, 10 years ago. And he was saying, he's saying he really dislikes this phrase. It's kind of a catchphrase. Some of you have heard it. The, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. That if you're in the center of God's will, that's the safest place there is. And he says, hardly. He says, the center of God's will is not a safe place, but the most dangerous place in the world. God fears nothing and no one. God moves with intentionality and power. To live outside God's will puts us in danger, but to live in his will makes us dangerous. Remember, God is doing something in human history. When we run from his purpose, we run from his presence. Do not be surprised if in your fear and weakness, he challenges you to get up and be strong. Let's pray. Gracious God, the least surprising thing about that survey is they were able to find a hundred things to be afraid of. Could have been 500. There are so many things in this world, Lord, that would make us afraid. But Jesus teaches us that he has overcome the world, that he has staked out a claim even here in this world to be his kingdom, and you invite us into it. Help us to remember that even in the face of all the problems in this world, we can be part of your kingdom. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.